So that's our lead-in today. If you have your Bibles, I'd like you to turn to me, if you would, to 1 John chapter 5. And we're also going to be looking today at the Lord's brother Jude's writing in Jude 20 and 21. Eternal life, the joy of eternal life. Here's how John, the apostle, put it in 1 John 5, verse 11. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. And then just a couple of pages over in your New Testament to the book of Jude, the Lord's brother Jude wrote this in verse 20 and 21. But you, dear friends, by building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. Let's pray for a moment. Father, thank you for the gift of life. It is so much more than any of us have ever understood, but someday we shall see it and know it in its fullness. As we've been meeting together in our small groups, as we have been meeting you every day in these devotionals that you have been so beautifully written, and hopefully in these messages, I'm asking God that you will continue to teach us so that no one misses this abundant life you're offering. And today, as we open this up, you'll speak to us about the joy of eternal life. And we'll thank you in your precious name. Amen. Amen. A few years ago, there was a book that came out called 90 Minutes in Heaven, the story of a pastor who had died in a car accident and 90 minutes was gone and came back to tell about it. They made a movie out of that book starring Kate Bosworth as the wife of the man who had died. They interviewed Kate Bosworth and her husband through the experience of making that movie and they asked her about her view of heaven. And she said, well, when I think of heaven, I don't think of a man on a white horse or Jesus or thrones. She said her and her film director husband, Michael Polish, worked together on the movie 90 Minutes, and when asked whether it had made her think about the existence of God in heaven, Bosworth said it was impossible not to. So here's what her description when she was asked, well, what is your view of heaven? This is what she said. I would love to have either Mike waiting for me or me waiting for Mike with our dogs running around. I mean, that's heaven, you know? Whatever heaven is for each individual, that would certainly be it for me. I don't know what your view of heaven is, but most people, when they think of the concept of heaven, either think about time or they think about a place. They either think about living with endless time or they think about being in heaven. But eternal life is not primarily about time or a place. Eternal life is primarily about a person and living in a relationship with that person. Jesus, on the night before he went to the cross at the Last Supper, said in John 17, verse 3, Now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. This is eternal life, that they may know you. 
Eternal life is all about knowing and living in the joy of relationship with God. We are finishing up this week, six weeks, studying in this series, The Abundant Life, the joy of living in relationship with God. And the reports we're getting back are tremendous. People said they've been challenged by the work in the workbooks. Their small groups have been meaningful. And hopefully these messages have been encouraging as well. And so far in this series, we've learned that the joy of the abundant life has nothing to do with the money you make or the health you have or the things you possess or the circumstances you face. The abundant life Jesus is offering has everything to do with having an abundance of God in your life and living in relationship with him. We learned in week two the joy of a fruitful life, that when God is abundant in your life, he is producing an upward fruit of worship, that God is becoming everything to us, that there is an inner fruit of Christ-likeness that's being produced by the Holy Spirit, and there is an outer fruit of service and evangelism and witness and prayer and giving that God uses through us to impact the world. Then there was the joy of a life of love, God's love for us as seen in the cross, our love for God as seen in our continued obedience, and then the joy of a transformed life, knowing that God is not just remodeling us, he's making us into something we were not before. He's making us into the people he wants us to be. Last week we saw the joy of a Christ-like life, the joy of knowing that God is working in all things to produce Christ-likeness in us, that there are no mistakes and everything matters, and that God has worked everything to guarantee that one day we will be like Jesus. This week, it's the joy of eternal life, knowing and living together with God forever. And there are two passages, this one in John and one in Jude, that give us two perspectives on eternal life, a reality intended to bring us joy now and forever. Because as these guys write, people who live the abundant life are people who live the joy of eternal life. But the question is, how do you live it? How do you experience this joy? What do you know? How does it make a difference? We know this by knowing that in Christ, you have eternal life right now. And the joy of eternal life is knowing that in Christ, you have eternal life forever. The joy of eternal life is knowing that in Christ, you have eternal life right now. John wrote this in 1 John 5, verse 11. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. When I was a kid, I used to have terrifying thoughts of death. I remember times lying on a sofa in my living room as a little guy thinking about what it would be like to die. What would it feel like? What would happen? Where would I go? And then I would have these terrifying fears of being put in a box and being put in a hole in the ground and covered over with dirt and staying in that box forever. And like most people who don't know the truth about these things, I used to hope there was a heaven, but I had no assurance. And when the fear got too great, I'd just put it out of my mind and not think about it. But the fear would always return. And then I met Jesus, and I came to live in him, and he came to live in me, and things began to change. 
Not only was I having my eyes open to the truth about death, but I was having my eyes open to the truth about life. My fears began to subside as I grew in my relationship with God and my understanding of what having relationship with him really meant. Jesus is life. And a person who has Jesus living in them cannot die because they have eternal life of Christ living in them. The body can die, but they never will. And that's what the Apostle John was writing in his first letter to encourage these fellow believers that if you have Jesus in you, you have eternal life right now. It's a present gift. Verse 11, and this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. God is life. To be in relationship with God is the very definition of life. To be separated from that relationship with God because of sin is the very definition of death. So death is being separated from God. Life is living together with him. That's why you can have everything the world offers. You can have everything the world says you have to have to really be living. And without Jesus, you have no life. That's why so many people who have so many of the world's goods feel so empty. Because the things of this life are not life. John was with Jesus when he demonstrated the amazing truth that those who have Jesus have the life. You remember in John 11, one of my favorite passages in the Bible, Jesus was good friends with a couple of girls named Mary and Martha. And they had a younger brother named Lazarus. They lived in Bethany, about two miles east of Jerusalem, just over the Mount of Olives on the backside. There was a little village there called Bethany. Jesus spent a lot of time there. Jesus was in the north country ministering about 90 miles away when he got word that his friend Lazarus was sick. In his sovereign purposes, he delayed in coming, and Lazarus died. And by the time he showed up, he had already been in the tomb for four days. When Mary and Martha saw Jesus approaching, Martha went out to meet him and spoke to him first. Lord, John 11, verse 21, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he'll rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God who is to come into the world. Now, did you hear what Jesus said to her? The one who believes in me will live even though they die. People don't die. Their bodies die. The people leave their bodies to go into eternity. Either 
They go to eternal death, which is separation from God forever because they had no relationship with him, or they leave their body and they go to eternal life, which is forever relationship with God because they have relationship with him. That's what happens when you die. You don't die, your body does. Jesus said, if you believe in me, then you have life. And when your body dies, you will still be living. And then he said, whoever lives believing in me will never die. In other words, you will never die because you can't. Your body can die, but you never will. You have living in you Jesus Christ. You have the Son, and whoever has the Son has eternal life. And Jesus said, Martha, you believe this? Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Savior, the Son of God who is to come into the world. You're the one. We believe. Good. Then let me show you how alive your brother really is. I know his body's in the tomb dead. It's been that way for four days. But roll away the stone. But Lord, he stinketh. Did I not say if you believe you would see the glory of God? Roll away the stone. So they did. And Jesus said, Lazarus, come out. And the Bible says the dead man walked out of the tomb alive. Take off the grave clothes, God said. He doesn't need those anymore. You see, when life speaks, death obeys. Lazarus' body was dead, but he wasn't. So God called him back for everyone to see. And Jesus said, if you believe, that's you. That's you. You have eternal life when you have the Son, right now. That's why John said, if you have Jesus, you have life. Verse 13, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. Pastor Phil Ward, in his excellent devotions this week, week six, points out the two primary New Testament words that make the difference in our understanding of whether or not you have life. The two words are bios and zoe. And here's what he wrote. In the New Testament, there are two main words for life, bios and zoe. Bios is where we get prefix for English words like biology and biosphere or biography, and it means the period or course of life. It has to do with the everyday components of living life on earth, things like paying bills, working, eating, relating to others, breathing, drinking, everything we normally associate with necessities for life. But he said, the other word, Zoe, has a fuller definition that is more complicated to translate into English. But its general meaning is one who is possessed of vitality or is animate. The New Testament uses Zoe to mean the absolute fullness of life, both essential and ethical, which belongs to God and through him to Christ. It is a life devoted to God. It is a life lived the way God has life. And so there is bios life, all the things we normally associate with life, things you have to do. You have to breathe, you have to eat. We normally think of the quality of life issues with that, that we can jump around, we feel good, we have good health, we have money in the bank, we have all of these things we think we need for life. That's the bios life. But you see, the truth is, you can have all that the bios offers and you don't have zoe. You don't have eternal life. Because these things were never meant to be life. 
Jesus is the life. Phil went on to say, we tend to think about life in terms of the bios kind of life. This kind of life has an assortment of needs like naps, leisure, food, oxygen, sunshine, and water. Bios life operates out of need and seeks sustainability. It has to keep happening in order to maintain. But Zoe life operates out of fullness and is characterized by satisfaction. It is a coming into your life of one who fills you continually. God is the fullest and most satisfied person in the universe, he wrote. God has no need for shelter, food, or naps. He can't be domesticated, nor can he be regulated. So when we think about God's life, we must think in terms of Zoe life, not bios. This doesn't mean, he said, that God doesn't care about the bios life. In fact, all that has life and is animate and energetic is, is so because it was created by God and resembles what God is like. Although bios life is limited and dependent, Zoe life is unlimited and independent. Both kinds of life find their origin in God, but only one is truly the kind of life that God has, Zoe life. Now, I've been in the hospital quite a few times over the years with people who are nearing the end of their life, and I hear this phrase often. Well, I'm afraid the quality of their life is no more. So we're not sure what to do. And I say, wait a minute. Are those people Christians? Is that person a Christian? Their quality of life hasn't diminished. Their bios life may be diminishing, but that's the natural order of things. But their Zoe life isn't diminishing. In fact, it's getting stronger and stronger and more intense and more real. In fact, their relationship with God is getting stronger and stronger. You just can't see it. There's nothing wrong with the quality of their life. In fact, you're going to see in a little while, perhaps, that the quality of their life is going to get so great that the bios thing that had to sustain this physical life can't hold them anymore, and they're going to blast out of that body. There's nothing wrong with the quality of their life because they have the sun. They have eternal life. The great Greek expert W.E. Vine once put it like this, bios life is extensive, it has to do with length, but Zoe life is intensive, it has to do with quality of relationship. John said, if you have the son, you have life. W.E. Vine went on to say, eternal life is the present actual possession of the believer because of their relationship with Jesus. People, that doesn't mean to lose people to death doesn't hurt. I mean, if you have to say goodbye to somebody who's going on a trip for six months, you miss them. But there's a difference because you know when you see, you're going to see them again, it changes everything. It renews your hope. John wrote in 1 John 5, verse 12, whoever has the Son has Zoe. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have Zoe. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal Zoe life. People, do you have Zoe life today? Do you have eternal life? This is very important. Do you have Jesus Christ living in you? Do you have the Son? Now notice, I didn't ask you, are you a Christian? I didn't ask you if you were religious. I didn't ask you if you were spiritual. I didn't ask if you were a good person or went to church or got baptized or believed in God or prayed a prayer. 
You can have all those things and have no life. What I'm asking is, do you have the Son? Do you have Jesus Christ living in you? Because if you don't, you can have all that BIOS offers, but you will not have life. You'll be forever separated from God. But if you have the Son, you have life. It's a gift right now that you cannot lose. Someday, my family may park my body in a box and plant me in the ground, but they ain't ever putting me in there because I'm never going to die. My body's going to die someday, but I never will because, you see, I have the joy of eternal life. Do you? Those who have the Son have that life. And not just knowing you have eternal life right now, but the joy of eternal life is knowing that in Christ you have eternal life forever. The Lord's brother Jude put it like this in Jude 20 and 21. But you, dear friends, by building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life, future what a difference that makes, knowing what's coming. Not only what you have, but what's coming. Last Tuesday, we had a memorial service for our good friend Joe Galvin. He is dearly missed by his family and by our church, especially all those kids that he taught. You should have heard their testimonies. If you were there, they could have gone on and on. What was interesting was that uh, if you were at the service, it was one of the most joyful times I've been in in a long time. There was clapping, there was singing, there was laughter, and there was joy. Not because we didn't miss Joe, but because we know where he is. And we know that everything Jesus promised him is now complete. Jesus came and took him and brought him to eternal life. It reminded me of the perspective difference that Tony Campolo used to talk about. Tony Campolo, sociologist, Christian, used to teach at the University of Pennsylvania. In one of the messages he spoke called the Year of Jubilee, he was telling about a time when he was 16 years old, he went to his first black funeral because his good black friend named Clarence had died. And he said the pastor was incredible. From the pulpit he talked about the resurrection in beautiful terms. He had us thrilled, he said. He came down from the pulpit, went to the family, comforted them with the 14th chapter of John. Let not your hearts be troubled, he said. You believe in God, believe also in me. Jesus has gone and Clarence is with him in his heavenly mansion. And then Tony Campolo said, for the last 20 minutes of the sermon, he came down and actually preached to the open casket. He was preaching to Clarence's body that was laying there. He said, man, that was dramatic. He yelled at the corpse, Clarence, Clarence. He said with such authority, Tony Campolo said at 16 years old, I thought the guy was going to sit up and say something. Clarence, there are a lot of things we should have said to you and we never said to you. You got away too fast, Clarence. You got away too fast. And he went down this litany of beautiful things that Clarence had done for people. And when he finished, here's the dramatic part, he said, that's it, Clarence. There's nothing more to say. And when there's nothing more to say, there's nothing more. There's only one thing left to say. Good night. Good night, Clarence. 
He grabbed the lid of the casket, slammed it down. Good night, Clarence. Boom. He said, man, a shockwave went through the whole congregation. Like, what is he doing? Tony Campolo said, I've never seen anything like this. He was fixed on the pastor who looked up and he said, I could see he had a smile on his face. And he said, good night, Clarence. Good night, Clarence, because I know. I know that God has given you a beautiful morning. The choir started singing. Oh, that great morning, we shall rise, we shall rise. He said, people started dancing in the aisles. I started dancing in the aisles. I was hugging people I didn't even know. I knew the joy of the Lord, the joy that in the face of death laughs and sings and dances, for there's no sting to death anymore. We are alive, we are living with Jesus, and we're gonna live with him forever. Amen? Amen. That's what the Lord's brother Jude was writing about, eternal life. He wrote it in this letter to encourage his fellow believers, stay strong, contend for the faith, and wait for the glorious return of Jesus. Jude said, Jesus is coming back to bring you to eternal life. Jude 20, but you, dear friends, by building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, Keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. Jude tells them, keep growing in your faith, in the power of the Spirit, by the word of God and prayer. Keep growing in that. And this will help you stay in the blessing of the agape love, is the word he uses there, the unconditional love of God, while you're waiting for his blessed appearing. And that word waiting means looking forward with anticipation. You're waiting, you're looking forward to the blessed hope, the appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And you are looking forward with anticipation because you know what he's doing. He's coming back to get you, to bring you to eternal life. You have eternal life now, but the Son is coming back to bring you to the completion of eternal life there. Living in his presence in heaven with him forever. Pastor Phil wrote this week in the, in the uh, devotional book, one of the most spectacular things in the entire Bible is the offer God makes to his creatures to spend eternity with him. Amen? God exists in eternity. God's existence in eternity is teeming with fullness of life. God is the most delightful, creative, beautiful, interesting, energetic, wise, and powerful person in the universe. Shockingly, God wants to share himself with those he has created forever. So what will heaven be like? Well, God doesn't tell us much about it. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 9, the Apostle Paul got a glimpse. Remember what he wrote? However, as it's written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him. Paul got a glimpse, couldn't even put it into words. He said, your mind hasn't even conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. It's a love relationship. Lived out with God that never gets old, never grows tired, never gets stale, but increases in intensity from day one forever. 
because the honeymoon with God never ends. John Piper, in his book, The Pleasures of God, put it like this. Sometimes we joke and say about marriage, the honeymoon is over. But that's because we are finite. We can't sustain a honeymoon level of intensity and affection. We can't foresee the irritations that come with long-term familiarity. We can't stay as fit and handsome as we were then. We can't come up with enough new things to keep the relationship fresh. But God says his joy over his people is like a bridegroom over a bride. He's talking about honeymoon intensity and honeymoon pleasures and honeymoon energy and excitement and enthusiasm and enjoyment. He's trying to get into our hearts what he means when he says that he rejoices over us with all of his heart. And add to this, Piper wrote, that with God, the honeymoon never ends. He is infinite in power and wisdom and creativity and love. And so, he has no trouble sustaining a honeymoon level of intensity. He can foresee all the future quirks of our personality and has decided he will keep what's good for us and change what isn't. He will always be as handsome as he ever was and will see to it that we get more and more beautiful forever. And as he is infinitely creative to think of new things to do together so that there will be no more boredom for the next trillion ages of millenniums. That's what's waiting for you. Jesus is coming back to take us to be a part of that. Some people would say, well, you talk about eternal life forever. Isn't that a bit redundant? I mean, eternal life forever, doesn't that mean the same thing? No, it doesn't. Not at all. Forever has to do primarily with time or length. Eternal has to do with quality of relationship. I don't know how else to describe this, the word eternal life, um, but it sounds something like this. Our first day in heaven with Jesus will be perfect. But every day after that gets better. And it never ceases to get better. In fact, every day, the intensity of the joy increases and never ends. That's eternal life. That's Zoe life. And that's the eternal life you have right now. But it's the eternal life you're going to have forever. That's why our memory verse this week was from John 17, verse 24. Jesus prayed for us to experience that. Do you remember? Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory. The glory you gave me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Jesus prayed that night at the Last Supper. Father, I want those you've given me to be with me so they can see my glory forever and ever and ever to enjoy that glory. Sometimes the wait seems long, but Jesus is coming. He's either coming on the day when you are going to be so full of life that you're going to leave your body, Jesus will be there to meet you. Or it's going to be on the great and glorious day when he returns. But he's coming back. And he's coming back to get us. 
to bring us to the fullness of joy of eternal life with him forever. This is the life Jesus is offering. This is the abundant life. It's the joy of living in relationship with God every day and forever. But so many miss out on this joy because they haven't understood the gift. They haven't known it's available. Or for some, they haven't wanted it. They're content many times in confusing the box with the gift. Here's what I mean. If you have kids or grandkids like we do, when they're little, you can go out to get them a Christmas gift or a birthday gift, and you shop, and you know what they want, and you buy them something, and you can't wait to give it to them because you know they're going to love it. But when they're really, really little, they tear the paper off that thing, they look at it, they open it up, they pull the toy out, and they play with the box. Because the box is a whole lot more exciting than the toy to them because on the front are all the characters and all the scenes that that toy can't create and you can't create. And it's got all the exciting words and all the artwork on the outside. And it's got that shiny paper you look through for the stuff that's inside. And the kids love playing with the box. And you can hand them the toy back, but they set it down. They want to play with the box. That's what a lot of people do with life. People, Jesus is the gift. He is the life. And that life has provided for us all of the things we need to be alive. Water and food and relationships and a house and a job and a car and money in the bank and all the things we think we need. That all comes from God. Here's the problem. Many people get so enamored with the box, they never come to see the gift. The box we call the bios life is so enamoring that people want more and more of it to the exclusion of Jesus. And what's more, even Christians who claim they have Christ living with them are more and more captivated by the things that are given by God than by God himself. And so while they may be saved, they're missing out on the joy of the abundant life that God is offering. The joy of a fruitful life. The joy of a life of love. The joy of a transformed life. The joy of a Christ-like life. They're missing out on the present reality of the joy of what eternal life is. People don't ever confuse the things God gives for the person and the gift that he is himself. John said, he who has the Son has life. You have that life right now. You're going to have it forever. I want to end by where we started in John 10. Jesus said, very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full.
have it abundantly. Satan is a master at getting people to play with the box and miss the joy of the gift. But people, what Jesus is offering us is him. An abundant relationship with him. The joy of knowing that we have that relationship now and the joy of knowing we'll have it forever. Phil Ward summarized our study like this in the closing pages of the devotional this week. As we think about what it means to have abundant life, we must consider how it relates to God. The promise of abundant life is an offer to sinners to be reconciled to God through the finished work of Jesus. By living a perfect and obedient life, Jesus has secured the righteousness needed to enter the joyful presence of God. By dying on a cross, Jesus has overcome sin and death, the obstacles that kept sinners from enjoying God. By rising from the dead, Jesus demonstrates the power of God to bring the dead to life so that forgiven sinners can be transformed into saints and gain access to the presence of God through the mediation of Jesus for our everlasting gladness, our eternal joy. That's the life Jesus is offering to all who will believe and receive it, the abundant life, living the joy of relationship with God now and forever. Father, thank you for this offer of life. Thank you for helping us to see that life does not consist in an abundance of things but in the abundance of a person. It has nothing to do with our health or wealth. It has nothing to do with our circumstances, good or bad. It has everything to do with you and how much of ourselves we have yielded to you as you come to live in us and fill our lives with your joy. Lord, life here is hard, no question. But there is a joy in this that no circumstance can steal. This is life, the abundant life. And those who have the Son have this life. You know, while your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, I have to ask you today, do you have Jesus living in you? Do you know you're a sinner in need of his forgiveness? Do you believe he died on a cross, was buried and rose again, and he's alive today? Do you believe the message of Christmas, that he was born to save us do you believe the message of Easter, that he conquered sin, death, and the grave? If you believe today and you've never asked Jesus into your life, then he's offering you a gift. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. But it comes by faith. We have to receive it. He's offering it. And so if you're here today and you know you're a sinner like the rest of us, and you're ready to receive Christ and the life he offers into your life, then you can pray to him right now and ask him for it, and he'll come. He will live in you and cleanse your sin and bring you into relationship with God. In fact, you can pray just like this. Right now, in the quietness of your heart, he'll hear you if you believe. Just say to him, Lord Jesus, I know that I am a sinner, and I believe that it's my sin that separates me from you. I believe you love me, and that's why you came to die for me in my place, for my sins, on that cross. And when you died, I believe my payment was made. 
that you were taken down and buried in a tomb. But the grave couldn't hold you. I believe that three days later, you rose again victorious, just as you promised. You conquered sin and death and the grave for me. And you're alive. And so, Lord Jesus, I ask you, please, come and live in me. Wash away all of my sins and forgive me. I receive you, the gift of life. And I thank you for so great a gift. If you prayed that today, God heard you. Jesus comes to live in you. Maybe you're here today, though, and you've been a Christian a while. You've asked Christ to come and live in your heart, but you haven't been living the abundant life. There's no fruit. There's no love. There's no transformation. There's no Christ-likeness, and you know it. Jude was right. You've got to keep yourselves, build yourself up in your holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keeping yourselves in God's love. Maybe today there's some things that need to be confessed to God. Maybe there needs to be a fresh surrender to God so that it's Him living and not you. You can pray like this, Lord Jesus, I'm so sorry for the times I drift away and get my eyes off of you. But I'm so thankful that you're the God who never moves. So God, I ask you to take my life now. I surrender to you. I want you to teach me to walk this life in the power of your Holy Spirit in obedience to your word. And God, I trust that you will keep me in your love through these things as I wait for you to come and bring me to eternal life. Father, thank you for the things we've learned, for the things we're still learning. And as we sing this closing song of joy, may we be reminded again that our joy is found in you. And we thank you in your precious name. Amen.